Hi, this is Paul with the Divided Families Podcast, and I hope everyone is doing okay um, at home with family or friends, uh, feeling supported during these crazy and uncertain times, which, to be honest, is starting to sound like a cliche at this point. But I do feel like we have a very timely episode to share with you today, uh, Eugene's conversation with his friend Jinjin Xu about her experience uh, being in quarantine during this pandemic. I think it's very relevant to our podcast at large because they mentioned multiple times a sense of isolation and helplessness that a lot of us are feeling at this time. And this natural instinct that's shared by a lot of divided families that we've talked to, to want to be with our loved ones and our families during these times of anxiety. But before turning it over to Eugene, I also wanted to share with you and announce a small but ambitious letter campaign that we're starting. So we want to encourage each of you to set aside some time this week to write five letters to family, to friends, uh, to anyone you'd like, and in an attempt to remind them that we're connected during these challenging times, even if we might not be together in person. So the only catch is that instead of responding to you, um, they have to write letters on their own to five new people. And then those five people each have to write five new letters to more people and then so on. So it's kind of like those chain letters we did, except uh, without the scary consequences of dying if you don't mail them, like almost happened to me in middle school. But anyways, uh, you can DM us on Instagram at Divided Families Podcast or email it to us at Divided Families Podcast at gmail.com if you feel uh, comfortable sharing a photo of your letters or a copy of them with us. And Though Eugene and Jinjin talk about writing and letters in this episode, so this is also a theme that we saw uh, in our previous conversation with Mark Owens from the American Red Cross, who I felt like shared very poignant stories of letters and their importance in reminding our loved ones and our families that uh, we're with them, even when uh, our physical presence might not be there. So our next episode here will be similarly focused on letters, and we'll be adding a link in the episode description for a list of funds you can contribute to and um, encourage others to contribute to in your messages if you would like to take action. So without further ado, here's Eugene and Jinjin Xu, and please stay safe at home in the meantime. Thanks. episode because I know many of us including myself and Paul are really anxious about the entire coronavirus situation and I'm recording this super late at night right before I go to sleep because I have with me a special guest from quarantine in Macau Jin Jin Xu <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in with your plentiful time <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me wait did you uh in call so Jin Jin is a friend from college but when you're in college did you do podcast stuff well I had a radio show with Katarina Oh, okay, the Chinese so. Hispanic Grocery. <laughs> oh, wow. So I think, yeah, you might be more of the professional here <laughs> than me. Um, no. But yeah, she is currently pursuing an MFA at NYU. And prior to that, she pursued a Watson Fellowship for a project on dislocated mothers around the world. And yeah, I've been meaning to speak with you about that project, like the refugees and writing about them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but then this inf- this situation kind of unfolded, and now we're here because of uh, the newsletter that you started during that Watson Fellowship, um, which I'm still subscribed to. And then you started the Pandemic Diaries, yeah. which, uh, sh- yeah, you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like, what kind of inspired you to write about the pandemic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I think like most writers that I know, and you probably are too, like writing is how I cope with anything or how I understand anything. And I don't want to say it's like necessarily therapeutic because it's not always, but it does help me release emotions or tensions and then understand what I don't necessarily know I'm feeling at the moment, right? So for the past few weeks, I've been feeling so anxious and I can't, I couldn't really unpack that from my body. So I think starting the pandemic diaries is really just something I needed to do for myself in order to really survive and like cope with my anxiety and unpack all that like stress from my body. But also it helps me like keep track of my days because the days are just going by right now. Um, I have been, well, I started writing it when I was in New York and now I came back to Hong Kong um, and then got shipped to Macau and was put in necessary quarantine in Macau for observance for 14 days. And Hopefully, during these days, I'll be able to keep up with the diary, and I don't really have much going on at all, so I don't know what um, what I'll be writing about, but it's giving me something to look forward to, even though I feel, like, extremely depressed in a way, and yeah, I don't really have, like, the energy to think or write, and my thoughts feel kind of muddled from just being in this room all the time. Um, but I think also in my letter I mentioned I was inspired to begin these diaries by Fang Fang's um, quarantine diaries in Wuhan. She's a writer who um, has been writing every day since uh, the coronavirus hit Wuhan, and a lot of her critiques are like sensitive enough to be like censored all the time. But she has become like this beacon of hope for a lot of Chinese uh, people online. And then also Yan Lianke's lecture uh, in Singapore, I think. Was it in Singapore that he gave that lecture? But it was translated in, into English. Um, but ab- about like how it's so important to remember what happens during this pandemic. Um, how already even before like the Chinese government has like conquered, uh, is already beginning to spread propaganda about how they've conquered the virus, and it feels like all the challenges and like the trauma of it already is being swept behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I f- feel like I guess the first couple entries of the pandemic diaries came just around the time when I started taking the situation more seriously. Yeah. Um, the Eugene of two weeks ago is not the same <laughs> at all <laughs> as the Eugene of uh, today. Yeah. Um, and not even, you know, last week. And I guess, yeah, as you were speaking about how time has been moving, it's like almost suspended animation sometimes where uh, I was with a friend earlier today and he was like, wow, like, I don't like how long do you think this will go on? I was like, I think it's going to go on for a really long time. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's only been, I realized like it's only been like a week yeah. you know, since things have been really serious here yeah. or have started to become more serious here. I'm like, uh, yeah. So basically the letters came when I started feeling a little bit more anxious today, much more anxious and in the coming days, much, much more anxious. But yeah, this episode is not you know, planned very well. It's just uh, on the spot kind of speaking with you about your thoughts. And I guess I've been listening to a a couple other podcasts and speaking with friends about how they're feeling. And I feel like there's some energy to be gained from that and some uh, 
I don't know. It's just a weird kind of I feel better because I know that I'm not alone in whatever odd yeah. situation that I'm Have in. Have you been feeling anxious? Um, Actually, we're going to go into that with the first part, you know, entry one of your diary. But yeah, yeah today I felt extremely anxious because um, this week I just locked myself in. But then today was the first day that I went outside and um, I had two friends that I was going to go see. And, you know, originally it was like we're going to go hiking or something. Uh, and then as the day got closer, it was more of, okay, am I still going to go? Should I go? Does this make any sense? Am I doing the wrong thing if I go? Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I mm-hmm. went. Um, I guess the whole day was, uh, I mean, all we did was eat and then, you know, like walk around the park. That was about mm-hmm. it. But the whole day I felt, oh, and grocery shopping. Actually, that was the most terrifying part was grocery shopping. <laughs> You'd think that all of the other mm-hmm. stuff would be more terrifying, but. No, grocery stores are really terrifying right yeah, now. Yeah, I was like, cool. <laughs> so like at the park and elsewhere, it's just anxiety producing because i feel like in america there isn't a tacit understanding that we should stay away from each other because like even if i'm trying to stay away from you mm-hmm. like people are still like walking down yeah. towards me i'm like why are you like you just don't get it you know yeah um and similarly there's this trail near my house that i usually run and i think i'm gonna have to start running like much earlier in the morning because uh in the earlier mm-hmm. afternoon or, like the good times to run people are just like there yeah. are, i mean if you're in a clump of like three people, that's fine, I think. But if there are four clumps of three people next to each other on the trail, like that's not okay, you know? Um, <laughs> Wait, who are, who are, are these people running in groups, you mean? Well, like, so like if or they like have like they a... just happen to clump together. Oh, well, so like lots of people walk on the trail, but like, or walking with their kids or like their family or whatever. But like, yeah, two, three people is fine. But if you're all next to each other, like what's the point you know um and then for people who are running they can't go around that huge uh clump so anyway that's all really anxiety producing grocery shopping was a new terror in itself where you got to get your groceries but people are like not getting out of the way at all yeah and well i I hear like the asian markets are empty yeah yeah and we're gonna also get into that with the um right actually right before this episode i was watching that vox uh thing on netflix which is recommended watching for those who haven't watched it. Um, it's like Vox Explained. Wait, what is it? Have you seen Vox Explained? Oh. Um, but there's one episode about yeah. the pandemics. Like it was a couple, I don't know when it was made, but it was made before this happened. And I was watching it before, because you said I had 20 minutes before. So I was like, okay, I'll watch this doc- short documentary. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, like the Asians went through, like the Asian countries that went through SARS and everything before like no wonder they're ready to go right now and oh yeah and at the risk of speaking too long about my random experiences uh and going into your letter the last thing I wanted to say was um it reminded me of when I was teaching in Korea there was a earthquake at our foreign language high school and the Japanese native speaking teacher she just it wasn't a very big earthquake it was just like a minor shake I guess but then the Japanese teacher just casually like dropped everything went under the desk sat there for a little bit and everyone's like what are you doing like that's so odd you know um but she's just like this is just what we do like japanese people it's just this is what we do and yeah can you read your uh day one entry 315 because there's a part in there where you talk about how you feel weird about feeling panicked and i thought about this image of my jeff uh the japanese teacher just you know like this is just something Mm -hmm. that we do but to everybody else it looks so excessive yeah okay March 15th, day one. For the past few days, I have vacillated between panic, helplessness, and a prophetic burning witch kind of feeling. (laughs) Finally, the broad public acknowledgement of this pandemic has felt better than my panicked loneliness for the past month. 
Having seen everything unfold in China, I knew it was only a matter of time before it hit the U.S. And yet, I felt most anxious around friends who, despite being sympathetic, disbelieved me, who probably saw my panic as alarmist, weak. The worst was the slow calm before the storm, when everything in NYC was still going on as normal, and I felt so alone in thinking it was not. During class two weeks ago, I felt such panic at my peers' engaged discussions on docu-poetics that I suddenly couldn't hear or understand anything they were saying. Yes, I could decipher their words, but I felt the surface of reality burst and ripple. Nothing made sense. I asked to be excused from the class and felt such shame. After the longest subway ride of my life, sweating while wearing a mask and fielding accusatory glances, everyone who saw me stepped as far as they could on a packed train at which I closed my eyes and reminded myself that is a good thing. And then, stopping by three shops for hand sanitizer, I got home and burst into tears. What went into this scene? And this is one week ago when I was still calm. <laughs> I think that's the most interesting part about the diaries is that I can map my own days with it, especially for the earlier、um, entries where it's like, yeah, March fifteenth, I was pretty calm. Then, <laughs> like, it was right after Pi Day, I had some pie. Like, everything was normal in the world. <laughs>、um, but yeah, what kind of went into this? And did you write this the day that it happened? Yeah, I wrote that on the day, but I was reflecting on like feelings from before that I had been thinking about putting down. So I was. I was feeling like kind of sick. I mentioned in my other diaries, so I I, I was in bed for like three days、mm-hmm. when I decided to write that first one. But like for three days, I like really just like had these thoughts like kind of fuming in my head that I was trying to put into words, and then it all came out on that day.、Mm-hmm. I think that the big thing about this one though is me reading this when you sent the letter versus me reading this again before this conversation today. It's like. This makes so much more sense to me now, whereas when I first read this, I kind of got it, but it didn't fully, you know, match my experiences.、Mm. Um, so, and that might still be the case for some people today, where those listening, not all of them, might feel panicked or、uh, anxious now. Some of them might still be kind of calm.、Uh, others listening might still be like me, more like me, where it's you know walking down the street, being like, "What are you doing? <laughs> like, why aren't you staying、mm-hmm. away from me? How、yeah. was it feeling like that?" So early, though. Well, I just felt helpless because there was no way to protect myself from like I still had to go to class. I still had to take public transportation, and I just kind of resigned myself like that. I had to sit next to like fifteen people during class, and there was no way to protect myself from the. Then that that's what I think. If everyone was taking precautions, um, if, like everyone shared my anxiety, then I would feel less anxious. But、mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like. I was sitting next to them, like trying to perform like normalcy, but then there was no way out、mm-hmm. of it. And but at that time, you knew that, or I guess rationally, you knew that there weren't that many cases in New York, right? I mean, two weeks ago, were there? I don't remember, but was that just more of a well, precaution? No, I, I think there were a lot of cases two weeks ago, but it wasn't being reported because it wasn't being tested, okay,、yeah. and people weren't testing themselves too. And that's what's so scary. I think if people, if there were tests. Thing available, or like people knew that like this is something you should be tested for and being quarantined for, or like tracking the cycles of the spreading. So in China, what happens that whenever a case is reported, they contact, they have to post on social media, and they have to like contact everyone they come in contact with, and they will like get tested as well. And that again brings in like kind of the perils of surveillance, but also maybe some 
like the slippery goodness of surveillance too, because you can literally track everyone who like has common con- you've come in contact with, mm-hmm. and there's literally a map that my parents look at, like oh who like in their neighborhood which house is like under quarantine right now, mm-hmm. and they, if they should avoid it. Yeah, yeah. there was that uh, Yuval Harari. Sorry if I pronounce his name wrong. The author of Sapiens. I shared an article yeah. by him where he was talking about that and how you know it's kind of a, like this pandemic is kind of a test where you know if we can't figure it out surveillance might be the only way and then it becomes a slippery slope where it's like do we have to wear these biometric bracelets to figure out who has a particular virus and then afterwards after it's over you know they still have this surveillance capacity so that's also a interesting and also slightly terrifying read yeah like right now in china like just to go into the draconian measures more like if you go on the subway or any trans- public transportation, you have to scan your phone, like the QR code, and then it will show like all the places you've taken public transportation and you've gotten it, and like it sh- it just shows all the steps. So then you you know, like, or they will know like exactly who on the trains, who are on the trains, and where they've been if they've been to a infected area. Mm. So then I guess in America, when you were in New York, you just felt like, oh my God, nobody knows anything, <laughs> right? Was that kind of the well, yeah, well, it just felt like I already knew the virus was everywhere in New York, but it wasn't being publicly acknowledged. I mean, I don't really have any hope for like the state to acknowledge this, but at least like even socially, there wasn't acknowledged at all or online. I, I just felt like a conspiracy theorist talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to... And because yeah. it's asymptomatic, well, because it's asymptomatic, oh, sorry, I think... They're going to knock to take my temperature. Oh, okay. That's no problem. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, they they gave us chocolate. Oh, <laughs> dude, you made it. <laughs> oh, they said, hope you're doing well during your 14-day retreat. <laughs> 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 and they gave, like, some fair rocher. It's also pretty funny because uh, you just talked about how the draconian state is watching you, and then they're like, oh, they brought me chocolate. <laughs> yeah, just a reward. Um, but yeah, you were saying that it's uh, asymptomatic, terrifying in New York. Oh, um, well, because the majority of people who get the... I mean, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but I think it's true that the majority of people who get it like don't show symptoms or like have very mild symptoms. So that's what I mean, like... It's spreading without people like be- because it's not it doesn't have devastating consequences immediately mm. it's only when as you know like when the medical system is overwhelmed that like that there's devastating consequences mm-hmm. yeah i feel like the conspiracy theorist feeling probably quadruples your anxiety <laughs> levels um and i don't know if this is the right time to bring this up but it might not make any sense but um a lot of, well, and also like a lot of us have been at home watching Netflix and things like that. There was this, have you heard of Kingdom that's on Netflix? No, what is it? It's a, yeah, this is just a super random tangent, but also at the end, I was going to ask you about uh, any book and movie recs you have. So keep that in mind as we go through this conversation. But um, it's just a, it's a Korean drama, but it's a historical drama and a zombie drama at the same time. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so I just watched this scene earlier today before this conversation where all of these infected bodies are brought inside of the kingdom, I guess, or the gates. And then two people are trying to explain to the like 
province leader like oh the, you gotta get out of here and get these bodies out of here like you have to get out of here or get these bodies out of here because they're gonna turn into zombies <laughs> right and it's just kind of this whole um, oh, my oh my god you're overreacting that doesn't make any sense and yeah, yeah watching their helplessness just kind of made me feel like oh this is us two weeks ago anyway that's a random <laughs> tangent uh, <laughs> um how did you feel at the airport getting out of new york was it like because that was a couple of weeks ago when you wrote this it was a yeah. couple of weeks ago was it any different at the airport and also on the way to uh hong kong slash macau um well i just want to go back a little bit to like the feeling of helplessness mm-hmm. in that i just couldn't believe that like after seeing china and then korea and then Iran and Italy, like at all of it unfolding so quickly, people around me still felt removed from it all. Mm-hmm. And was that still the case at the airport recently, like two days ago, three days ago? Um. Well, when I got there, it was like at 10 p.m. And the only flight that was in that terminal was like the flight going to Hong Kong mm-hmm. that I was boarding. And all of the people on the flight were like 99% Chinese and people were like, well well prepared mm-hmm. i felt i felt so safe amongst them because people were wearing like raincoats swim goggles basically waterproof everything every inch of their skin all over their bodies and also with like n95 masks and i felt actually less prepared than most of them even though for like the longest time i was like the only one prepared mm-hmm. you know so i felt like there was no way they were going to transmit anything to me versus or like i was going to transmit anything to them and vice versa mm-hmm. so like yeah yeah just given like the racism and how like odd masks look in america it's just so odd to me and i'm sure that we'll talk about this in more in depth in a bit but when i was running like running past all these other people uh, who aren't wearing masks i'm terrified and then i see this one like asian lady who's wearing sunglasses hood and a mask i was like i feel so safe <laughs> like yeah. i was like no matter what yeah. that person cannot transmit anything to me um so yeah, yeah but um yeah it's just such a weird division which we'll get into too yeah. um before that though i just wanted to ask one more thing which is uh for listeners who are like oh my god she's in quarantine what's happening could you just explain like <laughs> why that's mandatory yeah, it's so ironic that it has come full circle, right? Like before everyone leaving China was like seen as a threat and carrier of the virus. But now every foreigner returning or coming into China, and they're not even giving out visas for most foreigners to um, come into China anymore. But like Chinese nationals or, and some people call it like the rich people virus because people have been traveling abroad that can like bring it back. But I have a Macau citizenship. That's why I'm flying. I flew into Macau. And they're quarantining everyone for 14 days. They check your temperature and you have symptoms at the airport. Then they ship you to the hospital immediately. But then if you don't show symptoms, then they ship you to a government hotel under observation. And then they're going to test me twice during my stay here. How was like the state of people being shipped to quarantine? Were they freaking out or were they all just kind of like... No, it was actually really terrible. I felt like, okay, so mostly it was students, Macau students who were studying abroad who came back. And people, so people were kind of complacent. Younger, you know, younger students were just looking at their phones or college students were just looking at their phones. They weren't really complaining. But we were waiting for 16 hours being shipped to various points, like 16 hours without food or water. And I had just gotten off a 15-hour flight and it was at 6 a.m. and I hadn't eaten, but... I, f- I didn't feel very safe because there was no procedures 
or precautions being taken to like make sure people were staying like six feet apart or like being sanitized, whatever. It's like there were like 40 of us being packed from like room to room to bus to room to bus, shipped from various point to point. And we had to like get off the buses, get our luggage at every point and then wait in line again. It would have been very, very easy to infect everyone if one person had the virus. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel safe. But the thing is, people weren't complaining because it was mostly like students, like college, young college students. Um, and what I was mentioning earlier was that there was one older Portuguese man, maybe because he's white and felt like, and Macau is a Portuguese colony. So like the Portuguese people here are very like entitled, but he was like complaining so loudly. And he was, this is what I was talking about before in terms of these are not, not my words, but he was like, oh, these, it's like we're refugees being shipped around. Like he was like complaining so loudly about this. And I don't agree with him. Like that's not a good comparison i think but in his mind it it was that irresponsible of the government mm-hmm. i don't think we have to read this passage anymore but to go into collectivist versus like individualist attitudes maybe this makes sense in your um, anecdote too a little bit but could you elaborate on that a little bit do you think that it's an oversimplification do you think it's just more true <laughs> in these circumstances the east west kind of division um for example i mean for me I guess South Korea is like an odd mix between the two. It's more collectivist for sure, but it's, you know, also a democracy. But at the same time, I just know, I mean, I wasn't there, but I just, I can imagine so easily that as soon as people started um, getting ready to, you know, quarantine themselves and buy the masks and everything, like it just caught on really fast uh, because of kind of the culture. I think whenever these binaries were posed in the past, I thought it was very essentializing. But in this moment, it was useful to use such frameworks to understand why, to understand my actions in relation to my roommate's actions and how what I had taken for granted wasn't being translated across with them. For example, like, they're like, wait, why would you wear a mask when you're not sick? And I didn't know how to explain it without useful terms like flatten the curve or like social distancing before. But because I didn't need such like scientific proof to know or like statistics to to map out like, oh, I should wear, we should all wear masks to protect ourselves and to prevent spreading the virus if you had it yourself, right? But I also think to complicate like the individualist versus collectivist thing a little bit more is also like this internalized social order of not only the kind of societal structure that Asian societies are structured traditionally um, and you mentioned South Korea as a democracy which makes it slightly different from like the societal order in China but like in the kind of state-sanctioned collectivist attitudes as well. Um, and also wearing a mask, I feel like, is an act of, like, solidarity in the collective consciousness. Like, I'm wearing a mask. I'm taking this seriously. I recognize that you are taking it seriously, too, by wearing a mask. I, I see your fear, and I see your anxiety, and we're all anxious in this together. Like, we're all going to fight, do our part in this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whereas in America, wearing a mask is not does not signify that at all. How do you understand? I guess while we're still thinking about symbols and signifying, um, what do you think the mask signifies here? Um, yeah, I did. I never understood this because I grew up in Shanghai. But yeah, n- now I know that when you wear a mask, I guess you're supposed to be sick. 
But does that mean that people, is there a trust in society or strangers in that way then? That like everyone who's sick will instinctively wear a mask? You don't, you trust that you don't have to protect yourself against others, that others won't do that protection for you. And thus, is that more kind of a trust in the collective? I don't know. Yeah, that's a very, yeah, as you say that, I feel like it's very, very paradoxical because it's like you are, I mean, I guess in the American understanding of somebody wearing a mask, it's like, you're sick but then it's like okay you're sick so i'm gonna be you know like i'm going to attack you for the sickness or i'm gonna just start i don't know there's no there's no sense of solidarity it's like i'm gonna attack you for the sickness or i'm gonna attack you for trying to give me the sickness it's a very odd place to be i think Mm -hmm. yeah i guess that's something that we can think through uh on our own in the next yeah well have you heard of any incidences of racism and masks uh so i mean i've I just feel like the media these days is like drinking from a fire hose where it's like I like I've seen it, but I don't know if it's true because I haven't, you know, vetted it or I haven't thoroughly looked into it. Because for me, it's just like and this actually ties very well to the next question, which is um, I was going to say it just feels like everything is going wrong at the same time. I'm sure everybody feels the same way where it's like this virus is, you know, it's a public health threat. But then it's also, oh, my God people are racist we already knew this before but now it's more obvious right people are racist oh Mm -hmm. my god our healthcare system doesn't work we already knew this but it's more obvious now oh the government is going to bail out companies like airlines and luxury hotels and cruises but not restaurants oh my god what's going on but we also already knew this was a problem so for me yeah i mean i haven't seen i've seen the articles but i haven't looked into um specifically you know like cases of racism i assume that they exist sadly i not surprised that it exists you know um but Mm -hmm. yeah i think from anecdotally i feel like i've been seeing some in terms of nothing like extreme like i assume is on the media but it's more of um like people are not sitting near me on the bus or like uh people are steering clear of me which for me like considering the circumstances now i'm like actually that's kind of great but not when it leads to violence of course but if you're gonna stay away from me that's also like in an ironic yeah. twist, racism is actually helping us stay away from each other. Um, but yeah. anyway, without going too deep into that, the question that I did want to ask you was more of how are you dealing with this, uh, you know, as I said, drinking from a fire hose kind of situation. It can be really, you know, maddening. I'm sure many people also feel the same way. Is there any kind of, do you have any mm-hmm. um, tips to answer this impossible yeah, question? I'm, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure like, like of you that that you can't stop uh, stop obsessing over the news like I, I i don't think i've ever checked the news as much as i did um as i do now but also as i did like especially for the past few weeks leading up just like any new cases like or like measures being taken and stuff and opinion pieces as well but i also have deleted social media from all my phone like all the apps from my phone and that's helped especially because I was just so angry for the past few days that, or few weeks that people weren't taking it seriously, I felt like all I wanted to do was like yell at people mm-hmm. for like joking about the virus or or just like going out and about. Like I can see them doing shit on Instagram or Facebook, and I just like wanna, I, I, yeah, I just get so angry. Or or even like once people, I guess this is the, the maybe a, a, a pettiness or like a kind of like I told you so kind of feeling, but like once. People who weren't taking me seriously, once they do start taking it seriously, I'm, like, really frustrated, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, like, it just feels like, oh, you disbelieve me. Like, now you're anxious. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it just yeah, it's just really frustrating. So I don't really want to see how any everyone's yelling at each other about like stocking up or like being like really moralistic about how to react. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, are you still keeping in touch? So maybe you've deleted social media, but are you still keeping in touch with people? Because otherwise, you know, how do you stay sane? <laughs> Is it more of just a one-on-one? Yeah, kind of totally. Thing? Just yeah, totally. Like uh, scheduling calls, um, checking in with friends. And yeah, being mindful about like kind of making space for everyone's anxiety. At least every, I, I mean, maybe that just that's like paradoxical. What I just said about like the hypocrisy I'm seeing on social media, but like I think even in all my close friends, there's like such a various varying degree of reaction. Um, maybe I'm more like have more space and tolerance and patience for like people I feel really close to or I really love. So I have been like kind of holding space for like various different kinds of actions and what people need and how um, the kind of checking-ins we're all needing from each other especially since we are it does feel and I mentioned that in my letter it does feel like a really a test of adulthood in, in a way because all our friends are all like around this the same age where we've lived away from family for the for the first time for the last few years and now like a lot of us are like running home trying to run home again <laughs> mm-hmm. or or trying to figure out how to survive this on our own or with friends who are like your chosen family. So that feels like an awakening or like just recognition of who who you're surviving with and trying to really like what's you know what what is important, who is important to you in your life right now. Mhm. I think that's really interesting what you said about how I mean people like we need other people to get through um this time, you know, like kind of in terms of understanding like it eases your anxiety to know that somebody else is going through the same thing at the same time people can increase or magnify your anxiety to a you know that nth degree by seeing uh people on i guess social media you're not seeing people fully but you know more as uh i don't know flatter people just because they're more uh more i don't know dots on the map so yeah i think that makes a lot of sense how do you i guess just to bring this back to letters and you already spoke about this in the beginning a little bit but uh, compared to speaking with somebody, how does speaking with, you know, in this odd state of speaking to the paper, yet you're also talking to yourself, how does that kind of help you during these anxious times? Yeah. Um, even when I started these newsletters during the Watson year, uh, when I was traveling and never feeling at home and constantly on the move and also having a hard time updating my friends on everything, right? Like it feels like so much happens that I, I I don't even know how to like explain or relate my experiences to like I'm going through all of that alone and I can't just like tell the story again and again to to everyone on a regular basis so because I can't even process what's happening to me but like the tiny letter form was perfect for me to process to not feel so alone to allow my loved ones to come with me on this journey together and also it felt it felt like the writing both was an act of processing and release, but also a feeling of being heard by those I care about. And also it took the stakes off writing like a polished piece. It didn't have to be an essay or an opinion or like some kind of nonfiction account of my life. The stakes were low. It's just a letter to people who are listening to me. Like I'm allowed to address a you and to write from an I, which is 
I think is rare in some ways in terms of like the kind of pieces we feel like we're allowed to publish online. Yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense. It's like, I guess what I'm getting from that is more of when you don't have to put up a role that you're playing in terms of I'm a scholar or poet or whatever, op-ed writer, um, it can be more genuine. And also, I think this also is kind of a sense of self-discovery too, where I've been starting to write a couple of those letters and it's just kind of, when I start, I don't know what I'm going to write about. It's just as it's happening, yeah. it happens and what comes yeah. out, comes out. And I feel like that's an interesting kind of uh, sense of self-discovery throughout. I guess, yeah, it allows a kind of like dailiness and mundaneness on like, and meandering, wandering for like where your letter could go. Yeah, which is kind of where um, we are. And that's right why, now. like, <laughs> with the time that we have. Yeah, but also with like, like daily diaries. And you know how, like, when we're taught to write diaries when we're young, you're supposed to write like, dear diary. Like, there's a person you're addressing in the book. Yeah, which is the book, <laughs> dear diary. Yeah, which is the diary that you feel intimate with. Mm. It also reminds me of like Harry Potter. Who ended yeah. up writing? Well, that was a yeah. That was not a diary, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like having a listener or a perceived listener in mind when you're writing diary entries changes the tone and level of honesty or confession you can have with the page. Mm, yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense, and I feel like if you, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are also starting to journal or hopefully write letters or speak to people through FaceTime or Skype or whatnot. So I feel like a lot of these thoughts probably might help give words to that odd cathartic process that we have. And I feel like, and also this uh, podcast, as it's coming to the last question, I feel like just talking about the situation has helped a lot (laughs) throughout this past, you know, 30, 40 minutes of speaking. It's like, now that I've spoken it into existence, it's not as scary as when it's just this, I want to say that it's I imagine it to be like a whole bunch of scribbly, squiggly lines in my head of just this amorphous, (laughs) ungraspable thing. Ungrabbable, graspable. I don't know if that's a word, but yeah, I feel like just putting it out there saying, hey, this is a thing, but we both exist and it's going to be fine. Um, Even if I have no basis Mm -hmm. for that, I feel like I at least feel like it's going to be fine. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, value in that. But the last question I have was just the fun one. Um, I got to talk about zombies, so I was wondering what uh, yeah, any recommended reading, movies, music. They don't have to be educational. They can be. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention Ferrante again, just because Elena Ferrante, have you, you've read her, right? No. <laughs> I'm too busy watching zombies. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, like the Neapolitan mm, I th- novels, the, the four of the quartet, mm-hmm. My Brilliant Friend, and then the other three. Well, I, I mean, I've recommended her to, in every opportunity I get, like every close friend's birthday I would gift. If the, yeah, my friend hasn't read Ferrante yet, I'll always give her My Brilliant Friend. Um, mm-hmm. because it just, it just, captures every phase of life in a way because it does map from like childhood to adulthood and it captures the relationship between two women but also like literally how society changed throughout like the 70 years of their existence like everyone every character in that book is like so fleshed out and and real like um but there's actually a passage from it that i was thinking about yesterday can i get it yeah you can yeah for sure that's related to the pandemic Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a part I'm thinking of where it really related to this feeling of anxiety. Right, let me see. 
Oh, okay. So she, she wrote about an earthquake that I think really did happen, but it's like a fictional account of it. Um, I'm just going to read this passage and you'll see why. Mm-hmm. The earthquake of November 23rd, 1980, with its infinite destruction, entered into our bones. It expelled the habit of stability and solidity, the confidence that every second would be identical to the next, the familiarity of sounds and gestures, the certainty of recognizing them. A sort of suspicion of every form of reassurance took over, a tendency to believe in every prediction of bad luck, an obsessive attention to signs or the brittleness of the world, and it was hard to take control again, minutes and minutes and minutes that wouldn't end. Um, so there's a passage that described kind of the aftermath of this earthquake that suddenly shook everything out of place and destroyed everything. And it kind of sh- shook away the guarantee or assumption of stability and sameness and normalcy that we have taken for granted. And that's kind of how it feels right now. Yeah, I'm definitely in those uh, at the end of the passage, I'm in those minutes and minutes, and I don't know how long those minutes will go. But yeah, and I guess to bring things to a close, I wanted to mention this in the beginning, but I forgot. Yeah, this pandemic is act- to tie it to the theme of the podcast. Yeah, this pandemic is actually dividing families. But I feel like for me, uh, what made me want to record an episode about it, even if it's a little bit random or might seem random, is because for me, it tied entirely to the theme that you just read about with the earthquake and also what we talk about in a lot of other uh, family separation issues which is feeling very very helpless about the things that happen uh sometimes across the world the difference is of course with this situation the crisis is well it is at home and it's coming closer and closer and closer to our actual homes like personal homes Mm -hmm. and yeah and the honest truth is we don't know when it's going to end that's the same way that um this Fear is the same thing that so many people around the world feel um, in their individual family separation crises and any kind of crises. So, yeah, that's kind of how I see it kind of coming together. Uh, Is there anything you'd like to add at the end? Any message for people who are freaking out or for the people who are at the beach and not at home listening to this podcast? (laughs) Well, I can actually see some people on the beach from my window. But I I want to touch on the theme you said about divided families. I think it's really um it's it's really interesting about this this instinct to like um to be with our families right now, whether like biological or chosen. But like this like instinct to flee home, like maybe a biological instinct to like flee home in in times of crises too. And but also the paradox right uh, that we mentioned earlier, how like isolation is paradoxically like the safest way you can help your your those you love like seeing them and being with them physically is biologically feels so comforting but it's not maybe it's not good it's not safe to to like physically be with them right now and even here like i'm in quarantine because my mom is like immunocompromised so i wouldn't want to like accidentally bring anything to her but i also know that like as soon as I decided to come home, she was like, oh, I can finally sleep at night. Like, she couldn't sleep knowing I was so far away. Even though I'll just be, when I come home, I'll be like, live, right now I'm going to live in like a different apartment than she she's staying at, you mm. know? I think that the biggest thing for me has been, at least, and maybe other people share, but realizing that we are, I, I just feel like we've been stripped down to like our supernatural biological 
mortal vulnerable selves and family is like the yeah. baseline structure of you know what we are as a social species so yeah i think that's a what you said was probably a better note to end on but we're gonna end on that note <laughs> um yeah so thanks so much for tuning in from macau um hope to do another episode <laughs> in you. the future where we actually talk about things that <laughs> uh we quote unquote should talk about um and yeah hopefully see you next time Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Divided Families podcast. If you're interested in listening to more stories of family separation or learning more about our project, please follow us on social media at Divided Families Podcast. Thanks as always to Flannel Albert for the wonderful music, and see you next time. <laughs>